Welcome to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Polly Jean Harrison, Features Editor at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Francis Bignall and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Tyler Smith and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hello, hello, hello and welcome back to another podcast. Guys, Tyler, Francis, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Polly. I've just sort of come back from some time off. So feeling refreshed, eager to learn about fintech and sort of see what's happening in the world around us. And yeah, it's, it's all good. It's all good. How are you guys doing? Amazing. I'm doing fantastically. Uh, Tyler, what about you? How's it going? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Polly. It's uh, been a very busy week here at the Fintech Times. And as we gear up for Fintech Week London next week, um, it's yeah, it's, it's been a really, really hectic week, but really good and lots of really interesting stories this week. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, let's just get on, right on to it then. So what are you guys going to be talking about this week? Uh, Tyler? I'm bringing to the table the updated markets in crypto assets bill, uh, Mika, which we were calling it earlier when uh, we were talking about it. Um, yeah, this new update is basically a Europe-wide crypto regulation. So we're going to be taking a look at that. What are you bringing to the table, Polly? Uh, yes, Mika, not to be confused with the pop singer. Um, but no, I am going to be looking at ethical banking in line with our theme this month. And then Francis, how about you? My article this week is in a very similar vein to Tyler's. I will be looking at how the crypto queen has been named to the FBI's top 10 most wanted. Awesome. So, I mean, it's no surprise that you guys are talking about crypto this week, but that's fine. It's been a while since we've had a, a crypto heavy podcast. So why don't we do a bit of a crypto sandwich? Um, so, yeah, as we were just discussing, this is the update to the markets in crypto assets bill, which came out this week. Um, it's essentially a Europe wide uh, crypto regulation and it uh, aims to target market abuse within the industry. Um, and it was launched by the EU's Economic and Monetary Affairs Committee. And essentially what it tr- set out is uh, more transparency and wider, uh, a wider sense of realisation within the crypto market. So yes, one of the things that the bill really dives into is cybersecurity, and especially elements like anti-money laundering, um, like terrorist financing, uh, market manipulation. These are all things that were mentioned in the statement. And um, essentially what's happened is they've formed this new authority. It's called the European Securities and Markets Authority. And it's been uh, set up to sort of combat not just the cybersecurity elements of the bill, but also the uh, all of the other bill, uh, all of the other measures that I'm going to, to discuss uh, in due course. But the cybersecurity elements of it, basically, what the the uh, European Securities and Markets Authority, this new authority that is created, what they have to do is they're going to set out um, almost like a guideline for what compliance should look like within the EU's crypto market at the moment. What was really interesting that struck me in the announcement is that it was going to set up a register of non-compliant firms. So anybody that wasn't complying, anybody that you shouldn't trust, all that information will be available. Now I'm going to come back to that, but also just moving on, discussing the bill, it also looked at energy consumption within the crypto industry. Now this is something that we have 
discussed quite at length within the FinTech Times. And I've uh, seen some really good articles from you, Francis, where you've talked about the energy consumption. But essentially, and what I really likened it to was, you know, when you go to a restaurant and they have like the the um, they have like the hygiene rating one to five. I, d I guess it depends where you're listening. But essentially, this is like that, but with energy consumption. So basically what firms are going to have to do now is they're going to have to publicize what their energy consumption is. And it's going to have to be very clear on their website. I mean, these these were just a few of the highlighted things that the bill brought to, to the table. Um, but essentially what it tried to pioneer was real transparency within the market. Um, I'd reached out to a couple of industry experts to, to gauge what their response to the update was. And overall, I, I would say that it was a welcomed move for the wild west of crypto. I thought that a lot of the people that I spoke to made very valid points, but one of the people that I did speak to, which was the CEO of Rockaway Blockchain Fund, his name was Aldrich Peslar, he said that uh, one of the major problems was the banning of decentralized stablecoins and centralized exchanges. Um, and he essentially said that this would really limit innovation within the industry because only the largest firms would be able to adhere to the compliance demands of stablecoins to become issuers. He, uh, Pesla also mentioned that the bill is actually not applicable at this moment to NFTs. So when you look at uh, fraud cases and laundering cases within NFTs, that won't be included in the scope of these new measures. Just to follow on from what Pesla was saying, we had another uh, speaker, the CEO of the ID verification platform, Shift, uh, Shifty Pro. His name was Victor Friedung. I'm sorry, I probably butchered his name. Um, but essentially what he followed up with is that um, it was in order for the for the uh, firms to identify the who was being fraudulent and what the fraudulent transactions were, that they were going to have to de deploy ID verification systems. And he's, he identified in his quote that this was going to be a very costly uh, experience in some cases, but we should see, I think, off the back of this, if anything, the rise in, in these ID verification systems within the crypto market. But then when you look at it, it's it looks like the crypto market sort of runs on its own anonymity. So this is going to be a really tricky thing uh, that the, the bill is going to tackle. So, so yeah, it's really, really interesting. My questions to you two then are, would you purposely go and seek out the the ESG standards and the achievements of crypto firms now that the information is going to be available? And secondly, I guess maybe a bit of an open-ended question, but do you think that these these measures are doing enough? Because uh, from who I've spoken to so far, it, it seems sort of quite a few people are on the fence about the idea. I'll jump in here if that's all right. I think... In answer to both of your questions, I do really like, I think that was the thing that I sort of noted down just before we started the podcast about this the most, is that I really like the sort of transparency about disclosure of energy consumption. I think that's a really important thing. And it's something that I was going to bring up when we discussed your article as well, Polly, is this idea of transparency it is what people want in the modern day to know what they're, or sorry, who they're dealing with and sort of what impact they're having on the uh, on the environment and if you're you're not being sustainable then understandably you'll probably lose quite a lot of your customer base so i really like that and in terms of sort of like if this is enough i think it's perhaps it's not enough but it's definitely a step in the right direction 
I think crypto regulation is still a long way off of where it needs to be. But the sort of developments that we're seeing are going to be a massive help to the industry. And one of the other people that you got to comment on the uh, on the bill, Tyler, was EJF Capital C- CEO uh, Neil Wilson, who noted that the improvement of safe the improved safety would remove a barrier of adoption. And this is kind of something that I'm going to discuss in my article as well. So I think all the articles are in quite nicely this week. But it removes this sort of idea that people or sort of like a, a preconception that people can have around. Um, around cryptocurrencies that they're this terrifying sort of thing and yeah the, these horror stories that you hear about where people go bankrupt because they've invested everything hopefully this will sort of help remove a barrier of adoption by sort of showing there is levels of safety and sort of protection you're absolutely right francis i think it will aid to the adoption of uh, cryptocurrency um polly what i'm going to ask you is something slightly different i i think We've mentioned that the ESG standards and achievements had to be made available to the public and to the consumer as a consumer or potential consumer of cryptocurrency. Would you then go out and seek their register of non-compliant firms? Do you think that that's something that's practically going to happen and do you think it's going to help? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, just following on from what Francis says, just transparency is always a good thing. It's never not a good thing, especially in in these situations and i think you know as someone who is not skeptic of crypto that's the wrong word but sort of more i've not quite got into the hype as yet as uh, unlike you know my fellow uh, podcast host here um i think ha- knowing that a company was complying to these kind of esg things and you know showing that they are actually complying and documenting their environmental impact that would certainly make me more interested in wanting to get into crypto and definitely i would also like then to know what companies i should avoid and i think we have that in every aspect of life you know there are certain companies um depending on your beliefs or you know what you think about living your life for that's a really terrible way to phrase it but you know like clothing companies there are certain clothing companies that people would avoid because of unethical practices like fast fashion things like that and i think the same applies in finances and in crypto you know there are always going to be things that you as a person want to sort of prioritize when it comes to dealing with different companies and certainly esg is definitely a part of that so yeah i think having a list of companies that you should avoid and companies that you should give your business to i think that's always going to be helpful and just in general i think yeah i think all these regulations are are good and i hope that they continue because have they done enough yet? I don't know. I don't know enough about the space to comment on that really, but it'd be interesting to see if more is coming. Yes, I believe there's going to be an update coming out either, I think at the end of the summer or the beginning of autumn, which um, is rumoured to encompass NFTs as well. So it, I think it's a work in progress um, from the commission. And I think, uh, as, as both of you have really highlighted here, that it is... Um, it is a step in the right direction for the industry. So it's, yeah, it's really, really interesting. So that was the uh, first piece of the sandwich. Uh, Polly, what have we got in store from you today? Yes, I will go in the middle. Although technically speaking, we would call this an ethical banking sandwich since she, the sandwich is uh, yes. the sandwich filling is. But yeah, yeah semantics. Um, <laughs> so yes, so basically this week, not this week, this month, it is ethical banking focus on the fintech times so we're going to be diving into the wonderful world of ethical banking and everything that involves so i thought it'd be really cool to talk about that today 
and mainly just talk about the rise in ethical banking and, and what's driving it. So a lot of people are choosing to manage their finances in accordance with their values in greater numbers than ever before, kind of like I was just saying with crypto. You're right, Francis, these do kind of meld in quite nicely this week. Um, but basically, people are starting to care about who their financial institutions accept money from, how they use those funds, what kind of carbon footprint they have, all those things all around ESG. Basically, the question here is, why is there such a growing interest in sustainable finance? You know, what's driving the surge in ethical banking? Um, and this article basically goes into a bunch of different sort of reasons as to what that might be. So Krista Griggs, who is the head of financial services and insurance at Fujitsu UK and Ireland, sees the surge in ethical banking as largely driven by consumers, mainly millennials and Gen Z, because they are making more purposeful decisions in their buying behaviour. So the idea here is that obviously it's the age of the internet. There's so much information online and Gen Zs and millennials access all that fantastic information online more so than any other generation and have become a part of not only understanding, but also actively participating in environmental and societal change. And so that's sort of bleeding into finances and fintech as well. You know, you want every aspect of your life to match up to your values. And so finance is a part of that. Um, and so Claire Riley from Pensionbee also uh, agreed with that, seeing younger consumers as an influential force. Um, and she said the surge in ethical banking is primarily driven by increasing consumer demand for transparency over where and how their savings are invested and the realisation that the money can be used as a force for good. Uh, it is becoming increasingly popular with younger generations who are choosing not only the companies and the products that align with their values. This is indicated by um, Pension B's customer base, where they've seen that younger savers are more likely to be invested in one of our responsible plans. So I just think this is a really interesting thing. Obviously, we were just discussing the rise in ESG and crypto, but I think, you know, the rise in ESG just generally within finance is huge and it is being led, I think, quite obvious to say, by younger generations who are are more primed for change, I guess, maybe, or want to do better. And I think also there's this idea of an increasing awareness between the connection of finance and global issues. I think maybe previously you wouldn't necessarily have thought that, like, oh, it's just my bank. I don't need to know how my bank deals with the environment. But obviously we do need to know that. Um, and it's it's all that kind of just basically this kind of trending thing in finance at the moment where young people are driving this need for, you know, better ESG and better transparency, kind of like we were just saying with crypto. Um, but I just want to sort of turn it over to you guys. So, Francis, I'm going to pick on you as our resident young person, uh, being the youngest of the group. Are, are you driving the the ethical banking or do you think your your fellow generation is driving ethical banking? Or is it just a case of, you know, it, it's time, you know, it's time for ethical banking. This is it. We, there's no time to wait. There's so much going on in the world that's not great with the, you know, the environment that we really need to get on it. What do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, what I noted down before was that I really did like um, Fujitsu's and Pension B's views and sort of the recognition that the younger generations are the ones having the biggest impacts. And I, I think it might be sort of, it, it might almost go without saying and it might be an obvious point, but I think they're really the ones who will see live to see the long-term impacts. They're the ones who want to see the the change, the, the good that they can that they can make come of this. So I think it really isn't a surprise to see that they're the ones sort of influencing this, this change in attitude. And I think it's a really good thing as well, because as I sort of said, they're the ones who are 
ultimately going to get to reap the rewards from it. And I think if you're to compare who would you rather lead the sort of way for change, I think it's definitely the younger generation that you would want to do it. So I'm, I'm really happy to see that that is the case. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens in the future. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, there's there's been too many old white men calling the shots. Um, so I think it's great that the younger generations are coming into play here and will continue to come into play, I think, and we'll just carry on trying to make change. Uh, Tyler, what do you think? I was just about to call you Francis Tyler because of the name on your video. Oh, oh yes. I, I remember last week when Francis wasn't here, I, I substituted my name for his name so that uh, he would still be with us in spirit. Um, I think, first of all, this was a really interesting article to discuss, Polly, and of course very topical given the uh, agenda of the Fintech Times this month. I think it's n nothing groundbreaking to know that the younger generations are, are leading this sort of revolution in, in uh, sustainable services in everyday life. What was really interesting is that I was discussing this with my friends the other day, and they were quite surprised to know that, that the financial industry was actually moving in this way um, to, to, to provide ethical, more ethical services and more sustainable services. I, I think that it's not really an industry that you would associate with uh, a high sort of contribution to global warming. But it's true. And it's something that, uh, as I touched on with what I was saying with the bill, is that it, it, I think people have starting to wake up but i think it's also about it got something to do with the accessibility of the information in in the way that maybe 20 30 years ago you wouldn't have had uh access to other people's opinions in the way that you do now and you don't have access to to the information to make informed decisions like you do now so i think that yeah i think it's really important to see and as you highlighted francis that the younger generations are leading this i think in terms of the rest, the the other demographics and what they're doing, I think we're really seeing positive uh, movements in that in that area as well. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Tyler. And you know, it's kind of one of the more obvious things to say. I think that yes, obviously, the finance industry is moving towards this kind of ESG, and obviously that the consumer demand, particularly the consumer demand of younger people, are leading it. So I think, you know, it's. It's just, yeah, that's 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 the facts. Um, but no, I think, yeah, it was a super interesting one to discuss. And I'm looking forward to the rest of this month uh, for the ethical banking focus that we have coming up. Um, but anyway, if we finish our sandwich, the final piece of bread, Francis, take it away. Thank you very much, Polly. So when this came across my desk, it sort of instantly caught my eye because, you know, when someone gets listed to the to the FBI 10 most wanted list, you're a bit like, oh, Someone, someone's messed up some way, somehow. And when you've managed to defraud investors of over $4, million, uh, $4 billion, I should say, since 2014, you can kind of understand it. So the article that I wanted to discuss this week was about the crypto queen, as she's been called, Ruja Ignatova, who was the founder of OneCoin Limited and then ended up stealing everyone's money through, through cryptocurrencies. All the investors that she had sort of just took their money and ran off with it. And this comes at a time when crypto faith is sort of up in the air, if you will. The market's been all over the shop, really. And a lot of people have started to question sort of if, 
investing in cryptocurrencies is one safe and two worthwhile and sort of as Tyler was discussing the development of Mika and the bill that was passed the EU is making strides in albeit maybe not the the biggest they're still making strides in development of their crypto regulations and now the US has sort of looked at that and thought how can we follow suit and so what they've decided to do is sort of come with like this iron glove sort of forceful we're gonna clamp down on crime to deter everyone else from from doing it and we in the article we hear from modulus the ceo richard gardner who who describes how if the crypto queen was to be captured and sort of made uh to be put on trial and sort of fined and ultimately sent to, uh, to jail it would be a huge deal for for cryptocurrencies in the us and it would be a very very strong uh it would create a very strong public image in the sense that you know you can't get away with this it's not something that investors should be scared of so as he says he says high profile arrests present a good image to the public and one that is proactive and they can deter crime if the penalties are substantial so then he he points out how the bitmex founders were founded 10 million dollars and in comparison that's a little bit of a slap on the wrist it hasn't really deterred crypto crime as much as they'd wanted to but he points out that if the crypto queen was to be was to be captured then that would be a huge deal for for regulators to sort of say look you can't get away with this and so what i really wanted to discuss with you guys is is capturing a crypto criminal all a front and is it all about the public image and would it really help the crypto market in terms of its its development and its and its safety so yeah i wanted to would it deter other criminals what do you guys think uh probably i'll go to you first first of all again not condoning crime but also if you're gonna have like a criminal moniker crypto queen is a pretty good one um just that's all i'll say on the subject um i think you pose an interesting question francis should we catch the criminals the crypto criminals um, and will it deter crime? And I'd like to think, yes, that seems like a logical, you know, yes, we want to, they're criminals doing bad things. We should catch them. Will it deter further crime? That, again, is also an interesting question and one that I wish I had the answer to. You'd like to think so. You'd like to think that seeing consequences to actions would mean people are less likely to to do those actions again. Like That's the whole sort of way our crime and punishment justice system is is based around um but i yeah i find it very interesting and i think it's interesting you say about sort of the fines themselves that people are getting and how fines are supposed to be a deterrent but i think in every walk of life a fine is only a deterrent if you are poor uh if you have money a fine is is not a deterrent at all it's merely just the price you have to pay um, for some companies, for some people, $10 million is pocket change. So that then it just becomes just something that they have to pay to get away with it. And it's, oh, what's $10 million compared to however much money you've made from your crypto scam or whatever it is. Um, so I think it's super interesting. I think catching the crypto queen surely would be a good thing. Um, again, that seems kind of the kind of thing you do. But then I wonder, because I didn't really, I'm not in the whole crypto sphere, the crypto community. I don't, you know, all I know about it is what I know from this job. So I wondered, like, do, do is the crypto queen, is she like 
a figure? Does is she a person that like everyone knows? If like is catching her that's similar to bringing down like Al Capone from the cryptocurrency world, like a cryptocurrency Al Capone? Or that that's a really terrible example, but that's the only criminal I can think of. And if so, then yeah, a high profile arrest or capture of someone like that surely would be a deterrent. But basically, this is a really long winded say way of saying I have no idea. I I I would hope so, but I have no idea how to answer your question, Francis. Uh, but this is a very interesting article, and yeah, that that's all I have to say on top that. quality insights from Polly. <laughs> oh, I'll see myself out. <laughs> I mean, having watched a lot of narcos recently, I think the Escobar of the crypto world is the fun way to to describe her. But uh, now that Escobar would have been better. Literally, all I could think I was in my brain. I was like, think of a criminal, think of a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is because when you're looking at the crypto world and sort of seeing a singular figure who has managed to sort of run away with so much money and, and not face the consequences, because you have to remember that in, in the crypto world, anonymity is a huge thing. That's the whole point of blockchain, right? Is that from point A to point B is completely anonymous. So if there is somebody who has sort of put their figure, sort of put their name out there, who says, I am the founder of this company. And sort of gone out and gone on the, into shut into um, events and sort of spoke and, and really like played the part of a of a genuine CEO founder who is trying to be a forward thinking person in the crypto space. To then see that person run away with four billion dollars, I think that's a big deal. And I think most people in the space would know of who the crypto queen was would know of this of this horror story it's like i was talking about in tyler's article you know you hear about these horror stories and you're like i don't want to invest and i think this is one of them like all, all the one coin uh investors have definitely thought twice about investing again because of the of how much money they lost so i think there really is this sort of um i mean in answer to, to what you were saying i think it goes without saying that obviously we hope she gets caught <laughs> you know a crime it, it has a consequence we don't condone crime <laughs> we don't condone crime if, they, if there's one thing we can say is we do not condone crime but you would hope she gets caught and if it does deter other criminals i think so because there isn't this idea that you can put on a, on a mask and sort of be a legitimate person because right now you can sort of look at crypto criminals who just abuse the anonymity aspect of of blockchain and cryptocurrencies and that's one thing but then, like I said, having this a known figure exploit cryptocurrencies for for the system and what they use, I think that's a whole other deal. And I think that will deter this idea that, you know, it doesn't matter how smart you might think you are, you do get caught. But that's just my opinion. Tyler, what's yours? Well, uh, I think that Vizha looks very familiar. I think I've seen her before somewhere on the street. Um, I think that, as Polly highlighted, that finds a... Uh, only a uh, only really applicable and uh, worthwhile if if it's against somebody who doesn't have four million dollars four billion dollars in the bank. I do think that it would be good to catch this woman. Um, I I do think that it would show that you can't do this and get away with it, and it, it would show the effectiveness of. Well, <laughs> it would it would eventually demonstrate the the effectiveness of regulatory bodies in catching these people. I think uh, in lots of what you've mentioned, Francis, I think that, you know, as you said, the anonymity of the crypt of the crypto industry as a whole is is a problem. But then it's sort of like a double edged sword. Like, is it a is it a benefit? Is it a con? 
should we, you know, should we not hate the players? Should we hate the game? You know, so I, I think in the short answer, I think they should catch this woman and I think that they should um, bring bring her to justice because uh, we don't we don't condone crime here on this podcast. Um, <laughs> we never condone crime. We never condone crime. We never. At least we're in agreement. At least no. we're in agreement. <laughs> One thing we can all agree on, no crime. No crime. <laughs> Yeah, definitely no crime. I think uh, it would be good. Yeah, it would be good to catch this woman. Where is she? We've got to. We've got to all turn into like full time investigators now, guys. This is our jobs. We should change this podcast into a, a true crypto crime podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's a niche in the market. I don't think has yet been explored. Forget like true crime, murders and things. True crypto crime. That's where it's at. Fantastic. Great chat this week. Thanks for your wonderful discussions. What a fantastic crypto slash ethical banking sandwich that was. If you want to hear any more of what you've heard about uh, today, then head on over to the Fintech Times website and you can read the news stories in full as well as plenty of other uh, news stories and insights on there. Uh, so moving very swiftly on, very quickly, we're going to go into what I learned this week. So each week, so much new information and insights crosses our desks about the fintech world, being work at the Fintech Times, uh, that we're learning something new all the time. Um, and we thought it would be really cool to share that with our listeners. Uh, so, Francis, what did you learn this week? Uh, this week, I'd like to give a shout out to one of our other colleagues at the Fintech Time, Richie Santos-Diaz, who has been helping out a lot with our coverage of the MIA region. And he's sort of been deep diving into each of, well, not each and every one, but a lot of the countries in the region. And when talking about the Kingdom of Jordan, he found or he covered that 10% of Jordanians live abroad as they look to uncover more opportunities, despite a very highly educated uh, population. I thought it was very interesting. It's one of those sort of what I've just discovered a lot when focusing on LATAM is that these big entrepreneurs in 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 smaller countries end up having to leave to work abroad just simply to get the traction that they need and it's interesting to see that that isn't only exclusively in latin but also the case in the middle east and africa awesome thank you francis tyler what did you learn this week thanks polly i learned this week that uh romance-based crypto scams are actually on the rise and uh, this has been brought to light in a new report that found that uh, in 2021 so last year 185 million dollars was was stolen in uh, through these romance-based scams where essentially somebody pretends to love you and then runs off with all your money. Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen Tinder Swindler. I sort of likened it to that in the article. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's, you're, you're, gosh, this is all crypto crime in this podcast today. But, yeah, very pressing issue. What did you learn, Polly? Awesome. Well, mine this week is that London Fintech Plum launched a debit card uh, they are like a money management budgeting kind of fintech. Um, but I thought what was really interesting is that the plum coloured debit card, obviously on brand, is made up of 57% sea salt and 43% crude oil. And I just thought, what a, what a, what a fun thing to make a card out of. Um, that's interesting. Uh, but it's basically plum's first move into like spending and consolidating its position as a comprehensive money app. But I thought, what a what a really cool thing to make your recycled card out of. Um, but anyway, thank you so much, guys, for another fantastic podcast. As always, it is a pleasure to chat to you. Um, yeah, I mean, catch you on the next one. Fantastic, guys. See you next week. See you next week, guys. Thanks for listening to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversations using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times.